Hi there, I'm Billy. Thanks so much for joining us today on the podcast for Harrisonburg Church of the Nazarene. Please subscribe for updates and new episodes of this podcast. And join us each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. on Facebook Live. Be sure to like or follow our page while you're there. Hi, my name is Tim Devers. Um, we're here today to share a testimony. Um, I'm going to defer most of the sharing to my wife because she is my testimony. I think I've mentioned before when I'm at home and I see her walking around the house, I'm so amazed because I never, at one point in my life, I didn't expect to ever see that. And God changed things. God can change things and He will change things. Hi, my name's Carol Devers. I'm the other half. Back in September of 2012, I uh, went in for to the hospital for routine knee surgery. And the surgery went fine, but due to complications, they had to medically induce me into a coma. But the problem was I wouldn't wake up. And after the doctor stated all the facts the way they were, Pastor Jim said, you know, God is still in this. Tim had to make a decision that weekend as to what to do. He um, came into the room that night and uh, he said he looked into my eyes and they had lights in them, stars, and uh, he said that I was different. A few days later, I started breathing on my own and it's only God that did that. I'm a miracle, I know that, and I'm so thankful to God for giving me a second chance at life. But there was a lot of hurts and things still in my life that I had to deal with. And all these things that they had talked about in church during this time as they started Celebrate Recovery. I love Celebrate Recovery. Uh, I've seen healing so much in my own life, but I've seen healing in so much other lives. It's just amazing what God does when you just give Him half a chance, you know, and uh, you trust Him. I just can't say enough about what Jesus has done in my life and through Celebrate Recovery. He's just healed me. He's made my life completely different and I am eternally grateful to Him. Amen. Be careful who you sit by this morning. There might be a miracle. That's Tim and Carol. Don't you want to give the Lord a hand for what? talked a little bit last week about Celebrate Recovery. It happens every Monday here at HFCN, and Carol, if she were up here on the stage, would tell you adamantly how much that has been a part of her healing journey and how much she gets to journey with others. And so you're invited every Monday. You heard just a a couple minutes ago about um, Pastor Billy sharing about life's healing choices. That's an entry point, an opportunity on Sunday morning uh, on March 10th that will begin for several weeks. If you want uh, to begin this journey of just figuring out how uh, to begin making the right choices amidst some of your hurts and habits and hang-ups in your life. That opportunity is there in your worship guide. You can see more information about that. Well, hey, I'm, I'm Pastor Adrian. It's good uh, to have you with us today. And we're in the midst of our series. I was on, on relationships. We'll talk more about that in a minute. I was this week in my laundry room, and we had a, a broken washing machine. It wasn't working right. And so uh, Lauren came up the stairs and into our laundry room, and was alarmed at two things. Uh, First of all, that I had pulled the washing machine out from the wall and had taken a piece off the back of it. That's very alarming to her that I thought I had the audacity to think I knew how to fix this thing, you know? So immediately, 
she's concerned, what are you doing, right? The other thing is, that was very alarming to her is she's looking at, I'm reading this thing, and she goes, what is that? And I go, what's well, the instruction manual? She goes, where did you find that? I mean, she was like equally uh, impressed that we actually had the manual to this washing machine. That was Because we've had this thing for seven years, the washing machine. So this manual had survived seven years in our house and moving one time. So she was perplexed by that, that we actually still had the manual. And, you know, I had the error code on it. And sure enough, I fixed it. I'll tell you, I fixed it. We washed clothes yesterday. Yeah, very impressed. I don't know... I don't know what that means that both services, the loudest applause have been for the fact that I actually didn't screw up my washing machine, but thank you for that. Your belief in me humbles me. But I was thinking about that idea of the instruction manual. I mean, literally, it's like F22 error code, and you can look and say, oh, the hoses. Wouldn't it be cool if every relationship in your life came with an instruction manual? Now, think, think about go, go with me for a minute. Okay. You know, fellas, you know, think about that lady that you meet her for the first time and she's beautiful and you're thinking, what do I do next? And poof, it pops in front of you. Like, don't say this. You should say this. Instead of like, uh, when she says, you don't have to get me anything, that doesn't mean you don't have to get me. Wouldn't that be helpful? Come on. I'm asking uh, like some parents in the room, right? Like, wouldn't it be the moment, like I was a pretty young parent, like we our first showed up pretty early and a little bit unexpected in our marriage. And so she came and I, I had no idea what I was doing. I was like a baby, you know? And so I'm there like holding her. And wouldn't it be cool if the doctor came in the room the next minute with like, I mean, it would be the biggest manual you've ever seen, but like, here's how you raise her. Yeah, you're like, oh, great. Thank you. Um, because that little girl is now 12 and like turning into a teenager. And I have no idea what I'm doing, right? Wouldn't that be cool if every meaningful relationship in your life came with an instruction. Oh, it says error code F22 on the relationship. Let me look up and see what it, that would be awesome. Well, I, I am here to tell you that I believe God's word has instruction for us. Now, I don't know a lot of error codes in here, you know, but I'm here to tell you, I believe God's word is a foundation that we can build our life on. And in our relationships, we can find truth and healing and wholeness to, to help guide our relationships. We're in the midst of our series called The Unfriending. In John, the Gospel of John chapter 15, Jesus said, this is what love is, that you would lay down your life for one another. And that's the standard. That's the standard in all relationships that, that Jesus modeled for us, laying down your life. And so this series asks the question that if that's the standard, what is the opposite of that? What does it mean to not lay down your life? And specifically over last week, this week, and next week, what are three factors that if these enter into our relationships, man, they will steal, kill, and destroy. They will literally, they are relationship killers. We began last week with this idea of pride, that pride is the root, the foundation, and we're going to continue this week. If you would, turn to Philippians chapter 2 uh, in your copy of Scripture, if you have it uh, with you. If not, it will be on the screen. Some of you on your phone, some of you uh, in your Bible are opening and turning there. And here's what we have. We have the Apostle Paul, who was a, an apostle a follower of Jesus. He never met Jesus personally, but supernaturally experienced the power of God, you know, while walking on the road, persecuting Christians, living his life uh, about me. That's what pride says, me. And Jesus appeared to him and really changed his life. And so Paul became one of the greatest missionaries the church has ever seen. And so now, because of the gospel, because he's been preaching the gospel, he's in, in chains, he's imprisoned. And so he can't get out to the people so he just begins to write. And so uh, Philippians is one of the letters that he wrote to the church in Philippi. 
And, and these are the words that we're going to read in just a minute, starting in chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. Consider others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. I want to pause for a minute. We're going to get to the next four verses in a minute, but I want to pause and come up for air for a minute and talk a little bit about Paul's concern here for the church. He's concerned. I mean, these are people that he loves. This is a church that he loves. And in fact, if you read the book of Philippians, it's a little bit like a pastor whose heart is just overflowing for his people, for the people that he loves. And there's all kinds of comments about joy and encouragement, but here he's talking about relationships. He's talking about how within the body, within the church, how do we keep good relationships with each other? How do we make sure that we're functioning together in unity? And in doing that, he really gives kind of three warnings. And this is going to be a great review. If you weren't here last week for the message on pride, I would highly recommend you go back and and watch or listen to that at abeaconofhope.org. But these three things that Paul shares are a great review to get us up to speed of where we're going to be today. The first thing, you'll see it on the screen, that Paul warns against is selfish ambition. These are the things that tear down relationships. These are the things that will keep us from being in unity together as the body. And Paul warns, look with me at verse 3 that we just read in Philippians 2. It says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Now, ambition is okay. In fact, it's good to have, you know, an athlete needs ambition. A student needs ambition. Uh, Whatever you do in your life, you need some ambition. You need to be driven. But Paul warns against ambition that's focused on self. This should sound familiar if you were here last week. Pride is me, all about me, what's in it for me. And Paul warns that when our ambition becomes about self, That's when it's dangerous because it's always a danger that people will work, will serve, not to advance the mission, not to further the kingdom, but advance themselves. And that's what selfish ambition is. That even within the church, that we would come together and look to further our purpose in our cause, in our mission, instead of the mission as a whole. He goes on to verse 3 that says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Uh, I'll talk about that in terms of personal prestige. Follow me here for a minute. The greatest temptation is to want to be admired. And you know, that's in and of itself is a good desire to want people to like you, to want to be loved. But if we're not careful, our desire could be to want a platform or a spotlight or to have all the followers or all the retweets or all the likes. And while there's nothing uh, about that in and of itself that's wrong, the danger for us within the church is because as believers, we are not called to focus on ourselves, but rather to focus and give glory to Christ. So the warning here from Paul is don't make it about you because if you are a follower of Jesus, it's not about you, it's about him. Our lives should point to him, not the spotlight on me. No, 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 put the spotlight on him. He goes on in verse four to warn us, about a focus on self. Again, if you were here last week, this should sound familiar. This should sound similar to the words of Jesus where he uh, challenged us last week. But in verse 4, it says this, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. 
If it's a focus on self, then it's about you. And if it's about you, then it's always a competition. Everyone around you is always a threat to you and to what you want. So you have to be better than, stronger than, smarter than. It becomes about comparison, and comparison will steal, kill, and destroy any relationship you have. If it's about us and focus on self, it pushes others aside. Others become just an object that you use to get where you need to go. Paul warns us, it cannot be this way in the body of Christ. So we say all that to say that last week, our emphasis was on pride, the root The core, that pride is this focus of self. Pride is really putting ourselves in the position of God. And it's actually idolatry that we worship self. And this week, we're going to focus our attention because pride is the root, but perhaps the primary expression, perhaps the primary way that pride is expressed in our relationship is through the idea of control. Control. I brought with me one of the greatest illustrations I've ever seen of control, and it's this. The biggest remote control I have ever seen. I mean, you need like a, this is like, you could do your exercise and watch, this is a great thing. There's like 13 AA batteries that needs in this thing. I mean, this thing is huge. It glows in the dark. I mean, how could you ever lose this thing? That's probably why they have it, you know? It's like a monstrosity that you have to carry around. But we talked about this before, that for many of us, if we're in the car, we got to be driving. If we're in the room, man, we got to have the remote to control the volume and to control the sh- It's like, this is like such a great symbol because it communicates if you're in the room, man, I'm in control. That's one of the primary expressions of pride in our relationships is control. It's about me and I have to be in control. No one wants to feel out of control, of course, but in our relationships, control begins when we have to be in charge, we have to dictate the terms, it's about us. Let's continue reading in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8 now. Again, Paul has set the stage for us on this idea of pride, on this idea of self, and how it can destroy, not just within the church, but in every relationship that we have. And look at what it says now in verse 5 of Philippians 2. In your relationships with one another. Didn't I tell you? There's instructions for us. In the Word of God, there's an instruction manual here for us in our relationships. It says this, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the form, the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. If you were here last week, we talked about that idea of humility. Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. It goes on to say some really good things. You you should catch up with that later, but we're going to pause here just for the sake of time in verse 8 and understand that Paul is telling us that Jesus' example, Jesus' example was not one of control. That he spends the first four verses talking about the danger of self, and then he presents Jesus as this model, as this example. And Jesus was not the model of control. That was not his example. But think about it. If anyone, if anyone had control, if anyone had the power, if anyone had it all, it was Jesus. I mean, look at what it says. He was at the right hand of the Father in heaven. He had it all. 
everything you could ever want. And he had the remote, man. He was driving the car. He was in control. But Philippians chapter 2 says, what did he do with the control? He gave it up. In fact, look with me at verse 7. There's a lot of good things that it says here. But in verse 7 it says, he made himself nothing. He had it all. He had the control. He was in charge. All the power, everything you would need, Jesus had it, and he chose to make himself nothing. Literally, if you study the Greek verb there, it literally means he emptied himself. He emptied himself. Because you see, control, control doesn't do that. Control doesn't empty itself. Control grabs for more. Control says, I got to hold on tighter. I've got to take more. I've got to, because in my relationships, I have to control what you think about me and how you see me and what you perceive of me and how you can serve my needs. And so control in our relationships means I can't be vulnerable. I can't let you see my struggle. I can't be real. I've got to keep you at a certain distance away, only let you see what, what I want you to see so that I can make you think or I can make you believe, oh, because I, I have to hide. I can't show you who I really am. And so control doesn't empty itself. Control grabs on tighter, grabs on to more. Why? Because I have to control. I can't let you see the real me. That's what control does. I, I have to get, you have to serve my needs. You have to do what I want you to do for me. That's what control does. It's, it's this analogy. I, I brought this with me. I think this will help us. That really control, remember, Jesus emptied himself, right? Jesus, he emptied himself and control does the opposite. Control holds on to things. And so this is an analogy that I think it really helped me this week. It's simple, but that's kind of who I am. That the opposite of surrender, what Jesus did is control, control holds on. And so that's what some of us do in our, in our relationships is because we're afraid, because we've been hurt in the past, because we're so focused on self, we begin to control those around us, and so it literally becomes like a physical thing that we have to carry around with us is our relationships. Um, that, you know, oh, I, I got I to gotta post a picture. Everybody thinks I'm good on social media, and I got to put this great image out there so everybody thinks this about me, and I need to do this and manipulate these people this way. We don't even think of that in our mind, but that's what we do, and we're carrying around this burden of relationships trying to control them. And the reality is most of us can do this part. Because it's like, well, I just, I get tired, but I just switch hands and it's okay. I mean, I can still do what I need to do. But it doesn't stop at that, you know, because I, I have some other things over here that I brought. And while it might begin with relationships, relationships are really, I mean, family is a part of that, right? And so, but family is a whole different thing. I mean, it's one thing to have control in the relationships, but it's another thing when it involves your family because your family, they're closest to you and they've really seen your hurt or they've really hurt you you want to talk about baggage when it comes to family. And so many of us, we seek to control both our relationships, but even at a deeper level, our family. And so with that, man, there's an extra burden there, right? And so remember, Jesus's model is emptied himself. But our model for control is, no, 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 I got to hold tighter. I got to grab tighter. I got to be in control. And so what do we do? We hold tighter. And while you might've been able to manage this part, now you got all this other stuff. And so, man, I know some of you are really strong and you can do this for a long time, but for most of us, man, this is heavy. This is a burden. There's no joy in this kind of life. This is a life of control, and, and you can see where I'm going because it doesn't stop there, right? We have other things because it begins in our relationships, but then there's all these other things that it creeps into, and so it creeps into like our future, right? Because, because we've got our relationships and our family, but then 
man, I'm freaked out about the future. I, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know how to do this on my own. I have no idea. So we begin carrying that around. And then we've got these things of, of faith, that faith in and of itself cannot be about control. It has to be about surrender. So we begin to control that. And then we've got all this other stuff, like all this other stuff in our lives that it begins with relationships and it's all baggage and it's all heaviness because it begins with that. And I just want you to see this illustration that it spreads to other things like my reputation that, man, I really care about how I, people see me and how I'll be remembered one day, and, and my legacy, and, and that's good. Oh man, my image, my image. What are people going to think about me? It's see me, and, and I want them to see, I just broke my image. It's broken, but it's there, right? It's there. I have to carry that, and, and faith. Faith is important, but sometimes faith is like something I just throw on at the end, and it's good, and I've got that, and I've got other things too. I've got my performance, because I've got to measure up. I've got to be the athlete, or I've got to make the amount of money to provide, or I've got to be the mom that everyone else, so I've got to perform, I've got to measure up, and before we know it, we have all of this stuff that we're holding on to. The model of Jesus was emptying himself, and our model is, no, 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 grab tighter, hold tighter, control, 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 and I am exhausted just picking this stuff up. Some of us, this is how we live. This is how we walk around our everyday life, control every part of everything that we do. It begins in relationships and soon it extends into everything around us. Man, if that's you today, what an exhausting way to live. I've been there. I, I feel your pain right now, literally, but, but man, I've been there where, where I think that this is the best way. This is the easiest way. This is the right way to live. And really, deep inside, I'm just fooling myself because I'm exhausted. And I can't maintain this kind of life. What did Jesus do? Well, it was Jesus. Jesus had all the control, remember? The right hand of the Father. He had it all. But uh, Philippians 2, verse 7 says he, he emptied himself. He gave up control. He laid it all down. He had the power and the authority. He was strong enough to make it work somehow, but no, no, no. He knew for your sake and for my sake. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul writes to the church there, and, and he said, for your sake, he became poor. He emptied himself. And the problem is this. On the screen, you'll say, I, I think there's two models here. The model that we have and the model that Jesus had. Our model is this. Closed hands, grasping, straining. I've got to be in control. Jesus' model. Open hands. Giving, serving. I, I don't know where you are today. I don't know what about that you resonate with. Here's what I know to be true, that there are people in this room today, some of us that are trying to live a life like that in control, in charge. Uh, I've, got, I've got everything under control. I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And your life is spinning out of control and you won't let anybody see. You won't let anybody know. You gotta keep bearing it, keep carrying the load and you are not strong enough to carry it on your own. You're not. And it's not because you're not a good person. It's not because you don't work hard. It's not because you're a failure of a father. It's not, none of that. It's because you weren't meant to carry these things on your own. That's not what Jesus wanted. That's not what he modeled for us. This is why Jesus said, whoever wants to lose their life 
will find it. Because it's not about straining. It's not about grasping. It's not about fighting for more. That's control. And that's not what Jesus was about. He was about surrender. Surrender. Perhaps today in your relationships, you're wrestling, you're struggling with control. I showed you a model that I think extends beyond our relationships, but certainly it begins with our relationships. Here's some symptoms that I think in a relationship, symptoms that control has crept in, has entered in, has, and pay attention to these, you may find yourself here. The first is this, that you expect the other person to read your mind. Husbands, you better not look at your wives right now. I'm just telling you. It will not go well for you. I'm joking, right? But haven't we all done that? Like, I did that yesterday. I was, like, upset because somebody didn't know. Well, how would they know? I didn't tell them. Like, we do this all the time in our relationships. And it's a symptom, sometimes a sign of control, that they're not doing what we want them to do, right? What about this? You, you feel angry or frustrated in a relationship when things don't go the way you want. <laughs> you shut down. You run away. You flee. Or, or how about this one? You use guilt and shame however subtle, to manipulate. Can I tell you that I believe shame is so prevalent in our culture today. It's so prevalent in the way we interact with each other, in the way we engage other people, in the way that we parent in our marriages, that it creeps in. And I'm here to tell you, man, that often guilt and shame are just a sign of control. Maybe in your relationships, you're like me, guilty of some of these things. This is not how, this is not how the instruction manual tells us that we're to live in relationship. And if you desire to live a life like that, straining, grabbing, grasping, you will steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy will come and steal, kill, and destroy every meaningful relationship you have. I had this thought earlier as I began to pray about what it is that I would love for us to just think upon this week. And this is such a simple phrase, but it's powerful. It's powerful, and it's this. I want you to hear it today. God's best for you and me. God's best for you is beyond your control. I want you to pause for a minute in this and think about it. First time you hear this, you want to bristle. You want to push back. You want to say, wait a second. No, no, no. Listen to what I'm saying to you today. This could set you free. God's best for your life, for your relationships in your family, in your future. And God's best for your life is beyond your control. That's good news today. That's good news. Listen, God's best for your life is not indicative of how much you can control things, of how strong you are, of how you can... That's not God's best for you. God's best for you is beyond your control. It's beyond what you can do. And for some of us, we bristle at that because we want it to be about us, what we can do. It's not. Jesus had it all and made himself nothing. Our call is to do the same. Ask the band to come as we prepare uh, to close. For you today, if uh, the opposite of control, if the antidote for control is surrender, what is it today that you need to surrender? What is it today in your life that you are straining, grabbing hold of, terrified to death of living your life with open hands. God, you can have it all. God, I don't have to control anymore. I, don't, I, I can let you lead my life. 
That's what it means. That's what it means. And it begins in our relationships. It begins by suddenly you don't have to be right every time. Suddenly you don't have to make the person do what you want. Suddenly you just release control and say, God, I can't control them anymore. Freedom in that. There's hope in that. In a minute, we're going to respond by one of the most beautiful things in the church that we get the opportunity to do. It's celebrating communion. Communion is a, a sacrament. It's an opportunity for us to come to the table and be reminded of what Jesus did for us. That he emptied himself. He made himself nothing. And when we come to the table, we come in the church of the Nazarene, we don't guard the communion table. We don't say, you can't come, you can come, you can We just say, if you want to be in right relationship, you don't have to be a member of this church. You could just showed up today. We're so glad you're here. But if you want to be in right relationship with Jesus Christ, you're invited to the table. And I just don't want you to miss what a beautiful illustration this is this morning. Because Philippians 2, Jesus emptied himself. He emptied himself not just by coming to here on the earth and, and, and ministering and, and living a blameless life. No, no, no. He gave himself, like it says in Philippians 2, verse 8, and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He emptied himself. He emptied himself so that we could be filled so that we can be filled. What does it mean to live a life where you give up this control and you get, you're saying, I empty myself so that I can be filled with, with you, Lord, with your desires for my future, with your desires for my relationship, with your guidance for my family, with your, your image of how other people will see me. I, I give up this to be filled with you. That's what Jesus did. He emptied himself on the cross so that we could be filled. And this morning, I just I want you to see this. For some of us, man, this is abstract, but I want you to see that when we come to the table this morning, we have the opportunity to be filled. Uh, it's a symbol, I understand, but we come to the table this morning being reminded of what Jesus did for us, and we can receive these elements this morning in faith, saying, oh, Jesus, fill me with you. I don't want to be filled with that anymore. I want my hands open and surrender. Fill me. And so in a minute, when we come, his, his body was broken. That's what the bread symbolizes, the cup. His, his blood poured out. For, and you can come and you can receive communion here around the table or, or back at your seat, wherever you want to. But you come desiring to be in right relationship with him. You come desiring to be emptied of yourself and filled with him. There's one more opportunity together today. And some of us today, we need to respond to this idea of surrender. There is something in your life today, maybe it's fear, maybe it's anger, maybe it's disappointment, maybe it's hurt by the past, maybe it's fear of failure. I don't know what it is for you, but you need, to, you need to surrender that today. Before you can be filled, don't come to the table still carrying that with you. Oh, let me go take communion. No, 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 no. You need to be emptied of that so that you can be filled. And so today we just designed communion a little bit differently. Around the table is, uh, it's, it's just paper. <laughs> and some of us today, before we receive the elements of communion, we just want to take a moment and, and write down. It, it's a physical response. It's just a, a symbolic way of saying, I got to be emptied of this. And so in the first service, there's already words written there. Yours won't be the only one. But some of us, it's pride and it's fear, and it's whatever it is, but before I come into this holy moment of being filled with Christ, i got to be emptied of that. And so some of us, 
Some of us need to come as we receive the elements. We just take a moment to write something down. And is there anything mystical about it? No. But it's an outward symbol of what's happening in our heart. Lord, I want to be emptied so that you can fill me. Would you stand now uh, to your feet? We're going to sing. We're going to worship. There's lots of time we've created at the end of the service to just respond. This is not a rushed moment at all. Some of us might need to pray before we come to the table, and that's appropriate. But this morning, I want to pray, and this is what I want to pray for you. I want to pray that your posture this morning will change. Some of you came in the room today, and your posture was this. And I'm going to pray in faith that over the next few minutes, your posture turns to this. I surrender. I can't, Lord. It's beyond my control. He says, yeah, my best for you is beyond your control. Would you allow him? Could I pray for you now? Could I pray for you with your heads bowed? Lord, your presence is here. And we can choose to listen to you. We can choose to respond to your voice. Or we can choose to live a life of control where we have to be in charge. And Lord, I know, I know there's fear in that. I know there's fear of letting that go. But some of us in here can't experience the best you have for us because we can't step beyond our control. So Lord, today we change our posture. We choose surrender. We're going to stop grabbing on so tight and instead, like your son showed us, he made himself nothing. He came with open hands. And so we come. We come to these elements today, not, uh, not taking them for granted. We remember Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, for giving your all for us. We choose today to empty ourselves so that we can be filled with you. Be with us now as we worship. Be with us now as we pray. Be with us now as we surrender and confess to you where we are, Lord. Would you come and meet us right where we are? Your best for us is way better than anything that we could ask, think, or imagine. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you again so much for listening today. Email us at info at a beaconofhope.org. That's info at a beaconofhope.org for any questions about our church. We have two gatherings every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. and a third gathering at 11.45 in Spanish. We're at 1871 Boyers Road in Rockingham, Virginia, and we would love for you to join us. As soon as you're finished listening today, please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.